Welcome to On Our Campus, a podcast dedicated to exposing corruption, discrimination, and misconduct in public higher education. This series, co-hosted by me, Suzette Grillot, and my friend and colleague, Jess Eddy, will focus primarily on the University of Oklahoma, but will occasionally address issues of corruption and misconduct at other institutions of higher ed as well. There is much to talk about when it comes to corruption on our campus, so let's get going. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast on our campus. My name is Suzette Grillat, and I have been with this podcast uh, for, this is our sixth episode. Over the last several months, we've been talking about corruption and misconduct in higher education, but we're taking a little bit of a pivot now and transitioning a little bit. We're going to talk about that today. Um, but I'd like to also welcome uh, my new co-host on the show, Jess Eddy, who's a fourth-generation University of Oklahoma graduate and former employee. And so I'd like to start just with a little bit about you, Jess, and just tell us a little bit about your background and your experience. And, and then we can get into kind of talking about, you know, kind of pivoting a little bit with the purpose of this podcast. The mission yeah. remains the same, but kind of like what we're going to be doing from here on out is going to be a little bit different. Yeah, sure. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, as you said, I, I've come from a long family of, of Sooners, and I graduated in 2016. Uh, I uh, took eight years to graduate from OU as um, I struggled with addiction and alcoholism. Once I got sober, it only took me a year. But in my time at OU, both as a student as an employee, as you know, I experienced some unfortunate events, and I was witness to others as well. And so I'm, I'm particularly passionate about addressing um, those past events, ongoing events, and, uh, you know, in the effort to prevent further abuses and oppression at OU. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad to join you, and, and I look forward to the work we're going to do here. Well, I appreciate you being here and doing this with me, Jess, and, and of course being my partner in this work that we're doing together to seek justice and reform at the University of Oklahoma all together. So thank you so much. Um, just to remind our listeners, as I mentioned, this is the sixth episode of On Our Campus. It's been a bit inconsistent. We haven't you know, been able to kind of keep up with it consistently. We're going to be doing that now, but, but the first six episodes or the first five episodes really uh, had a particular purpose. And that was to expose some misconduct and some problems with President David Boren, uh, with Regent Renzi Stone, with Provost Kyle Harper, and with others. And to, again, remind our listeners, this was to be the third part of a three-part series called The Problematic Provost. So episode four and episode five, we did focus on Kyle Harper, the provost at the University of Oklahoma, his early days at OU, how he got his job, how he, you know, kind of walked into positions based on a, a relationship with President David Bourne and some of the problematic things associated with that, my involvement in the search, my chairing of the search. We were actually going to spend this sixth episode as the third and final part of that problematic provost series talking about that last year, my last year with um, the University of Oklahoma as a dean. I'm still at the University of Oklahoma. Sorry. No, sorry, <laughs> University of Oklahoma. I'm still here. I haven't gone anywhere. I'm still teaching, and I love it, and I love being a professor at the University of Oklahoma. But this was really meant to be kind of a, 
a tell-all of that last year with President uh, Gallagher and Provost Kyle Harper. And after a lot of thought and consideration and discussion and reflection, I mean, we've got I've got a legal battle going on, and it really just became clear that what I need to do is I need to let that legal process play out. I need to let it conclude. Uh, hopefully this year before the end of 2020, and then we will be telling that story. So in other words, I'm not going to be finishing the problematic provost story today with this episode, with episode six, because I've got to let some legal things happen. And and we've had some legal successes already, and I don't want to jeopardize that. And so I want to keep that process going because I think it's really important to hold the university accountable through the legal process. So rather than jeopardizing that, I'm going to save that material, but I can promise you right now, you will hear that story. You will hear what happened in that last year of being dean, and you will hear in this coming year what's going on with that legal uh, that legal battle. And I might add all of the many other legal battles that the University of Oklahoma has. And I think it's something yeah, we can Lord. get to pretty soon is that there are a lot of legal battles that they're having. So that's kind of an end, I guess, to at least for now on hold, we're pausing the problematic provost series. And what we're going to do, though, is we're going to transition to focus on the contemporary issues that are really still important at the University of Oklahoma. Our mission remains the same. We're still here to expose misconduct, to hold those who engage in misconduct accountable, but also to recognize and celebrate where we see change and growth and development. Um, So it's still a justice project. It's still, you know, a reform project. But now we want to amplify other voices. We want to bring in other guests. We want to gain perspective from lots of other people on campus who are dealing with a lot of issues that I've been dealing with, that Jess, I know you've been dealing with. And so so that's, I think, where, where we're pivoting to now. Yeah. If 2019 was a crazy year for the University of Oklahoma, 2020 shaping up to be just as interesting, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Not to mention 2018, the transition from Boren to Gallagher, that at fallout. But 2020 is going to be a particularly critical year that needs our attention, I think, as we move on to select a new president, but also as we address certain individuals, institutions within the OU apparatus that need reform, that need our address, need our attention, and we need to empower individuals in our community to speak to and to address these problematic situations. Yeah, so 2019, speaking of the the kind of the what happened in 2019, I mean, we started the year with a, a racist incident, uh, one of many that we've had at the University of Oklahoma and one of the many we had in 2019. We had a rally. We had a lot of discomfort and pain and difficulty. And then, of course, Gallagher's departure, an abrupt departure, a firing for all practical purposes. I think that's what we know what it is. They call it resignation. He was retired, air quotes, you know, after his 10 months on the job. So the, the instability that then comes with that, right, the instability that came with all of the budgetary cuts and firings, all of the lives that were affected by that. And then, of course, this transition kind of a a middle-of-the-night drug deal, if you will, where the regents get together and select and install 
uh, Joe Harris as interim president. Joe Harris, somebody who you know has been a born person for you know, more than 25 years, came to the University of Oklahoma with Born, you know, has set out trying to kind of right the ship a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and especially when it comes to issues of diversity and inclusion, which is something we know that Gallagher cared nothing about and that we're pretty sure, given the evidence that we've already exposed here, Harper doesn't care about. So Joe's stepping in to try to deal with some of those things. But man, they just the hit after hit after hit in 2019. Again, the budgetary concerns and problems with Cross Village, for example. The and the $800 million lawsuit. The, the $800 million filed. lawsuit there. The Title IX problems, right? The, what this, is it? Every, it seems month after month there's some Title IX scandal of a professor just doing unspeakable things to students in the damn drama department. Well, the College of Fine Arts, the School of Drama, yeah. and, and they're not alone, you know. Right. That's, it's, it's where we've seen some outspoken uh, some storytelling so far, some some re- revelations, but but we know they're not alone. And so the way in which Title IX just continually bungles its job and all of the ways in which, you know, sexual misconduct continues to happen on this campus. So, you know, there's, there's a lot that happened through 2019 and that we're still going to be looking for some resolution or some change, some development, but there are just lots of questions, not only with the future of Kyle Harper and a provost that's been quite problematic and that we'll see just how problematic as we get through a legal process with my case this year, but we've got an interim president that has undertaken a long-term strategic planning process right? It's quite remarkable that you have an interim president spearheading long-term vision for a university. What does this tell us? What does this potentially tell us about an upcoming search, right? The regents have put off the search for the president. They're not going to announce a search until supposedly the summer of 2020, this coming summer. That means there'll be a search all through next year, 2021. But the fact that he's engaged in these kinds of things tells us what? Well, you know, Joe uh, has every intention and um, probably confidence that he will be the permanent president. And, uh, I'd say if I was a betting man, I'd, I'd probably place my bets on him. So Joe brings an interesting skill set to the table that the regents found really attractive, and that's stability because Joe's so likable by so many. Joe, as everyone knows, is a born protege and is a politician's politician. What's happened here is that the regents were in such crises that they grasped on to something familiar. And I don't think that that is really the kind of posture we as a university want to assume when it comes to selecting the leader of our institution. And given, you know, the concerns you raised um, around the last presidential search, the values and principles of input, transparency, community voice, and all of those kinds of issues are still issues today. And I'm not so sure, in fact, I'm, I'm assuming otherwise, that the regents respect or appreciate those kinds of values. Now, it's pretty apparent what Joe's doing. He's not making strong comments. He's not driving bold initiatives. He's staying out of the limelight when it comes to the tough issues. He won't engage with the AOI folk. And so he's really trying to fly under the radar 
as a leader who's non-controversial. And for the regents, that's ideal. And so as we transition through this semester and into the summer, I'm looking to see more of the same. And I think it's our responsibility as, as community stakeholders to force um, the administration to address some of the more difficult issues at OU. Um, and I particularly, I'm, I'm speaking to Joe and Kyle Harper because we need to see how they can handle these issues. Everything has been put on hold. They've hired a new vice president of diversity, which is a good move. And we can, we can compliment them for that. She doesn't appear to be an insider. She's certainly not a boring guy herself, um, which is a, a break from the standard practice at OU. But it is going to be interesting to see what our new diversity vice president brings to the table. She comes out of a program of enrollment and her job before wasn't doing strictly diversity work. But I'm, I'm anxious to see, and I think a lot of people are anxious to see what she's going to bring to the table and how she's going to address some of these really critical issues. But this was one of the first critical hires that Joe Harris had to make because he came out strong from the beginning saying diversity, inclusion, and equity, those are our priorities. And that's because that had been so damaged, so publicly damaged. And we know, those of us on the inside at OU know that those have never been priorities. There's been a lot of lip service paid to these issues, lots of talking points. They don't become, you know, important issues until there is a PR problem. So I'm still not convinced that this is anything other than, you know, a PR problem for them. But I really want to see, you know, that Joe and the administration really put their money where their mouth is when it comes to diversity work. But it's going to be very interesting to see as this new diversity officer comes on board at OU and what she is able to accomplish and what Joe is going to be able to come out and say again, because you're right, he doesn't say much about anything but that issue, right? right? That's how damaged it was because of Gallagher. And that's how damaged it is because of Kyle Harper's lack of concern about diversity, as we've talked about on previous episodes of On Our Campus, showing concern from his search that he wasn't committed to diversity and inclusion. So we still have a problematic provost in that regard. We have a a relatively weak president, but a stable one, or interim president. I'm going to call him an interim president. He, a lot of people remove the interim part at this point, because I think, again, everybody's money is on the fact that he's going to be our president. And that raises all kinds of concerns about the transparency of how he was selected. The fact that he is the old guard establishment, born protege. Um, We have all kinds of problems on this campus because of the previous corruption, all kinds of costs because of that previous corruption. And so we just continue to keep the previous corrupt people in place. This is very problematic. But the stability that they're looking for is very, very real. And even within the regents, Jess, I mean, look at how, look at the instability within the regents. So Regent Renzi Stone is overlooked. I think we all probably know why given um, his the exposure of his admission that Bourne was a was a disaster and all of the things that we exposed on, on our campus the very first episode, that Renzi Stone abruptly quits when he's overlooked for, yeah. for chair. We have three relatively new 
STIT appointments on the regents that are kind of, you know, standard thoroughfare. They're they're par for the course. Pretty typical, you know, what you get. People that don't have a lot of experience with higher education, you know, just no real credibility there. And so the things that we're hearing even coming out of regents meetings remain a concern. People forget that the regents are in charge. Right. They are in charge of this university and there is very little to no oversight for that governing board. And so this is something that we really need to be paying attention to. And the pressure on the regents needs to be kept up. The legislature stepping in a little bit, baby steps maybe, but they're starting to attend some of their executive sessions. How many executive sessions did the regents hold in private secret meetings over the last year to two years? I mean, it's just, it's unheard of. And then all of the potential violations of the Open Meetings Act that is you know, really concerning. So it's like our heads continue to swirl while, you know, a lot of people still think about football and, you know, sports and athletics and just going to school and that's great. But people who work at OU, who've had long-term careers here, alumni who give money, people who are public stakeholders in this university, public stakeholders in the state of Oklahoma, in a public institution like the University of Oklahoma, still have so much to be concerned about. Yeah, I mean, you know, these regents are a real problem. And I was really interested in reading um, that daily article that came out in in the late fall, um, comparing the way our regents operate, their complexion, to uh, comparable institutions. Um, We're one of the few institutions that doesn't have a student, doesn't have a representative member of the body they serve, faculty, staff, student on the board. Or people that are even, that have credibility in higher ed and have some diversity. I mean, you you compare, you know, our structure, our governing structure to others in our region, our area, in our conference. I mean, again, check out that daily, or it's Crimson Quarterly, I think, published it first. It was a great piece that really demonstrated how odd and quite frankly wrong our our governing structure is. And when you don't have, you know, we as members of the community, um, as alumni, as students, as faculty, as staff, when when you don't have any means of accountability to your governing board, this is what happens. And, And what has happened is the regents have repeatedly ignored prevailing sentiments among the population which they serve. The prevailing sentiment in the run-up to the appointment of Gallagher was, let us have a voice, uh, ignored. Um, the prevailing sentiment um, during the Jones Day born investigation is, tell us what happened, ignored. Um, the prevailing sentiment after Gallagher left was, let us have a say again, ignored. Harris selected at 2 a.m. in the morning, in the middle of the night, during an executive session, a born protege of a man who is under investigation um, by the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation. So, yeah, these regents, you know, if you look at how they've operated, how they act, their priorities are their priorities. And, And who are they? They are, for the most part, rich, establishment, conservative, white men. And those priorities of those kind of men are so disparate from the University of Oklahoma's people. 
So it calls into question this commitment to diversity right off the bat. Right. But look, I mean, look at what all the regents are dealing with. I mean, we mentioned the lawsuits, the $800 million lawsuit having to do with Cross, right? Cross Village, yeah. this disaster. I mean, what a clusterfuck. The fact that, you know, Bourne started this whole thing, the way that this just, you know, go read the material on this stuff. It's absolutely ridiculous. Of course, we have several sexual misconduct lawsuits against Trip Hall, former vice president of development. We have a lawsuit from faculty, former faculty about email access, right? So yeah. the promise of having an OU email for life was taken away. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lawsuit regarding that. There's, of course, my own lawsuit having to do with First Amendment and pay equity, mm-hmm. um, you know, wrongful discrimination. D- gender discrimination and, and wrongful termination. And we could go on. You know, that's just that's just a few of the lawsuits that this university is facing. And again, one of those really serious costs to corruption. But I don't want to in this conversation today without reminding uh, our listeners and everyone out there that will hopefully share with everyone else, there remains an OSBI investigation about our former president, not only from the perspective of sexual misconduct, but also financial misconduct, and particularly the way in which certain people were provided financial benefits in exchange for their silence about such misconduct. There's an ongoing investigation. And so we've seen people come out in defense of a former president. I don't think we're in a position today where we're going to say anything about that other than the fact that that investigation is ongoing. We need to know at some point in time, we're, we're coming up on a year now, mm-hmm. just since that investigation began. Mm-hmm. We need to know there needs to be a resolution. There needs to be public reckoning about what happened. That Jones Day report, needs to come out and the OSBI report needs to come out and there needs to be some understanding from the, again, this is a public institution. Yeah. You know, we're not just talking about these things from the angle of pissed off employees or former employees or whatever. There are really serious, deep issues here that we need to elevate right. and remember as often as possible in order to really see and make change. Right. I mean, the common denominator and all the issues at OU is a lack of public scrutiny. I mean, everything needs the sunshine of the light of day. Uh, Title IX, Kyle Harper and what he does as provost, the presidential search upcoming, the Boren issue. You know, the public at OU has been deliberately excluded from input and and understanding they've been misled they've been gaslit and uh, you know it's, it's time for an end to that because when you do that then you have a year like 2019 you have scandal you have lawsuits you have controversy you have abrupt presidential retirements you have midnight appointments of presidents this is what happens and we know these kinds of guys Suzette and, and we know that with all the pristine, clear logic presented in front of them, they will still refuse to act accordingly. And so that's what we're here for. We're going to continue to confront and challenge those operations the way they proceed um, and give voice to the people who suffer from that, uh, who endure uh, their existence at OU in a culture and climate of exclusion, of white privilege, of elitism, 
And, you know, I'm, I'm all in. I'm, I'm ready to do that. Well, I mean, Jess, you're absolutely right. That's what we are here to do. And as you said, it isn't just us. And so we're really looking forward to having guests on the show in the upcoming weeks yeah. uh, to talk about racial justice, to talk about climate justice, to talk about other important issues on campus, other things that our students, our faculty and staff are dealing with, are experiencing, are fighting on a daily basis. And so we really look forward to amplifying those voices as well. This really needs to be a conversation, not just about, you know, the shit, because there's plenty of shit. We've already outlined the shit. We're, <laughs> we're 30 minutes into the discussion. We've had shit. This is our right. sixth episode. We've had a lot of of shit to discuss and there will be more, but we are seeing some change. We yeah. are. I mean, we are hearing from people. Um, we heard from a lot of people. We still hear from a lot of people about this podcast. People want this podcast. They want to hear, they want to hear the truth. They want to know what's going on and they want to hear it from people that they, that they trust and believe. Well, and I want to add to that. I mean, the podcast is an incredible way to give voice but Suzette, we've also heard and we know that, you know, there, there are positive results from you standing up and suing them, um, suing Kyle Harper, suing Gallagher, suing the university. Every action like that takes a chink in their armor that takes away from their power. And they are not so able to run around on that imperial playground, as you've so eloquently put in the past. It takes away from their ability to abuse their power, for sure. And yeah. I've, I mean, I have so many people that have written to me, as I've mentioned in previous episodes, saying, I couldn't sue. You know, I, I couldn't afford to sue. I could, I mean, I can barely yeah. afford to sue. You know, I'm, I'm like, it's pushing it's me hard. to the limit, you know, to sue. But you have to take every angle to hold them accountable. And so right. I have a, th still here to this day a lot of people that are encouraging us to keep up this battle, to keep up the fight, the legal battle, to keep this podcast going, to keep amplifying the voices, to keep recognizing, you know, um, highlighting the really serious issues and where we find successes. Because I'm going to tell you, too, so many people have written recently that have said, I'm going to work now and I'm seeing less of an abuse of power. Yeah. I'm seeing less of an, of an ability on the part of the provost, for example, to just kind of run roughshod over a search. That I'm seeing that they have to be more careful and they're being more thoughtful and intentional about the way they're doing things. We're not all the way there yet. Right. And it's, again, it's still some of it I think is, well for show. Yeah. <laughs> it's window dressing. Yeah. But but we are hearing that things are changing and they're moving in the right direction. And we want to continue to hear from you, from our listeners. Please don't hesitate to reach out. Um, part of our transition um, with on our campus right now is to really empower the historically silenced voices at OU. And so as you're witnessing and experiencing changes that demarcate a distinct transition and resolution, if you will, from the past, reach out to us, share your story anonymously or not, because we do want to show um, and share with everyone the fruits of their labor. A lot of people have put a lot on the line. A lot of people have suffered, not just Suzette and I, but a lot of other people have suffered, some in silence, uh, most in silence, but this work has been productive in a lot of ways. There is a lot of changes. 
Joe Harris has nowhere near the power that David Bourne had or Jim Gallagher, the ability to abuse and just run roughshod over processes and procedures. Suzette, tell us about this search for an associate dean, which is just unheard of. Well, I love seeing that there are actual like searches going on, and there are advertisements for searches. Yeah. You know, now now how real the searches are is a whole different story. But the fact that, like for example, there's an associate dean position in the graduate college that's being advertised for. Believe it or not, these are the kinds of positions that would basically be, you know, kind of somebody would be handpicked and would be brought in as like a fellow for something. You know, like I'm I'm going to be a, a fellow in the provost's office for a while and work my way into senior vice provost. I mean, we literally have so many people in position around this campus who, who never interviewed for their jobs. They were handpicked by, you know, Harper or a Dean or whoever. And they, and they just brought them in, gave them a year's, you know, worth of a kind of fellowship or something. And then they became an associate Dean or they became a vice provost. I mean, these are the, the ways in which people would get ahead at this university. And so we're starting to see that change a little bit, at least, they're actually, you know, running, well, they're, they're putting out announcements, apply for, you know, we right. want people to apply for, or to nominate people for these types of positions. Right. And so, you know, there are multiple Dean searches that are going on. There's still some shenanigans. I'm not going to lie. I mean, the, the, <laughs> the shenanigans with the College of International Studies Dean search, my replacement, my, yeah. the, the, the person that's going to replace me, which I have stayed far, far away from. I'm not in the middle of it. I don't, I, I'm, yeah. you know, not, not going, I'm just an outside observer, but there are some serious shenanigans there. You know, when I announce a lawsuit against the university on a Friday and the next Monday they announce a search for the new dean because I've accused the university in my lawsuit of wanting to shut down the College of International Studies, there's a little bit of game playing going on there, right? Harper thinks he's strategic, doesn't he? Well, I think he I think he thought that was a great move, but I think it's backfired <laughs> on him. And they ended up with a, you know, with a relatively weak pool, lots of unhappy students, particularly international students that were really unhappy with some of the candidates, yeah. most of the candidates. Whom we'll hear from it, later it, on the show. Yeah. And, and and so so I don't I don't know where they are with that search. I don't know if they're gonna actually be able to conclude that search. It was a problematic search, and so we'll see what happens there. But nonetheless, you know, um, there's still game playing going on. But I also hear, for example, from another college where there's a dean opening that, you know, a faculty member that feels like it's a really legit process and that there's, yeah. they're, they're going to end up with, you know, a really legit dean. So I think the days of old are changing. Yeah. Um, I think that it is projects like this and people that are willing to share their stories, again, whether you're sharing, you know, and showing your face and using your voice or doing so anonymously through us. These things matter and are making those changes. And so we will continue to do that. Um, that's what we're here for. The mission remains. This is going to be a very interesting year, and we will see you, well, you'll hear from us regularly this year on our campus. Study hard. That's right. Have a great year. Happy 2020. Thank you for joining us for this episode of On Our Campus, a podcast dedicated to exposing corruption, discrimination, and misconduct on college campuses. You've been listening to Jess Eddy and me talk about issues of corruption in higher education. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this discussion or answer any questions you might have. You can send us an email at onourcampuspodcast at gmail.com, as well as follow and interact with us on Twitter and Facebook at On Our Campus. We hope that you too are ready to eliminate systemic corruption in public higher education, as we all deserve better. For my co-host, Jess Eddy, producer Jackie Braun, and everyone at On Our Campus, 
I'm Suzette Gralat. <laughs>